True success does not have anything to do with the way the world defines success. It has nothing to do with how many people follow you, how much money you have, how much power and prestige you have. That true success in Jesus' eyes is someone who acknowledges Him as the Holy One of God. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. What is the state of the church in America today? Is the most important factor in any church the number of people in attendance? Or could it be the depth of faith regardless of how many attend? Today, David gives us a state of the church address. Due to his speaking schedule at the time of this recording, David is struggling with a bout of laryngitis. I'd like to take a few moments and talk to you about church world in American life. I've been a pastor now for many years, several decades, and what I have seen in the church in America troubles me some because the way the church defines success today is by numbers. We come up with what is called an attractional model, and we try to put on a show each week. We put out the lights and the cameras and the smoke and the big band sound, and we put on a concert for people to come in. And they come in and then give their money to the church. They check off their list that they've worshipped each week, and it becomes very transactional. And then what you have are the most successful churches in America become the ones who can give the best show and also preach a message that doesn't offend a whole lot of people. Because here's the problem. If your goal is just to grow and be big and big, you can't teach a tough message like Jesus is totally divine, Jesus is God in human flesh. Jesus died on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins. He is the exclusive way to the Father. No other world's religion teaches grace like he does. None of them are true like the exclusive views of Jesus. And more so that he asks you to be totally devoted and give everything to him. Your finances, your feelings, your hopes, your dreams, your life, your calling, everything belongs to him. And you see... The bait you use to get people into the church is the bait you have to continue to use to keep them in the church. And so you have to keep doing softball messages, getting people in because the goal of the church is to attract big crowds. But here's the problem. Where does Jesus teach, and more importantly, where does the Bible ever teach that numbers is the goal of God's people? You know, for example, I think back to when the Israelites left Egypt and were moving toward the promised land, there was a point where they wanted to take a census. They wanted to count their numbers of all the people that were going there. Now, bottom line, there were almost three million people moving from Egypt to the promised land. But God said through Moses, I don't want you to take a census. Don't take a census. Don't do it. And they went ahead and did it. You know what God did? He sent a plague. He sent a COVID-19 kind of plague upon them. And he killed Tens of thousands of people. Now, why would God do that? It was because he wanted the Israelites to understand very clearly that when they entered the promised land, he did not want them to depend upon numbers for their strength. He didn't want them to depend upon numbers as their reason for living, for their power that they would receive. He wanted them all to depend totally and completely on him and him alone. And here you have yet another example in Judges, the sixth chapter with Gideon, he is hiding around afraid of the Midianites who come in, sweep out of nowhere, and steal all of the grain of the Israelites. 
And God looks at him through an angel and says, Hail, mighty warrior. Can you believe that? Gideon's hiding and afraid. And God appears to him and says, Hail, mighty warrior. Saying to all of us, he doesn't look at who we are, but who we can become with his mighty strength. And he calls Gideon to go fight the Midianites. And Gideon assembles an army of 32,000 people. And God says, no, 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 not 32,000. Then Gideon whittles it down to 10,000. And God comes to him and says, Nah, nah, not 10,000. And Gideon kind of went, well, how many? And God said, whittle it down to 300. So in just a few moments, God took Gideon's desire to lead a mighty army from 32,000 to 300. And that's the numbers that he used to defeat the overwhelmingly large Midianites. The point being, God doesn't need numbers. He never uses numbers to define success. And here in John, the sixth chapter, you have the same story. Jesus has 15 to 20,000 people who are following him. And wouldn't it be easy for him to say, let me fix you another meal. Let me get you some more food. And maybe we can even increase our numbers. But what does he do? He teaches a tough message. He calls people to discipleship. And he says, you must be willing to give everything to follow me. And just imagine... 18,000 people at the Spectrum Center have Jesus in the center. He gives a tough message, a call to discipleship, and slowly but surely every single one rises up out of their seats and slowly but surely walks down the aisles not to follow him but to go out the exits and go home. That's what happened. And indeed, I think you could argue Jesus started out with 12 and ended up with 11. What kind of church growth is that? (laughs) The point being that what Jesus desires is success. And what allows him to feel like something successful is not numbers. Let me say it again. It's not numbers, but it's faithfulness. It's being the best you can in the best place where you are to follow him. So when we get to heaven, we might have people at the front of the line, not superstar pastors with large churches and large followings. We might have at the head of the line those pastors who labored faithfully in small venues, just caring for people, lifting up Jesus, sharing the gospel, and doing the very best they could with what they had. So let me take a moment on this Mother's Day and speak to moms, but also dads, you parents who might define success for your children differently than the way Jesus would. Here's what Jesus says would be successful for your children, that they become totally devoted followers of him. Not how many presents you give to them, not how much lavish lifestyle you bestow upon them. Real success from a parenting standpoint is a child that totally loves and follows Jesus Christ. And here's what you need to understand is the faith of a child is much more caught than taught. You know, you can teach your children the truths of the gospel and the Bible as you should, but what they're really looking at is, do you believe it? Do you follow it? Is Jesus Lord of your life? Do they see you praying? Do they see you really worshiping? Do they see you reading the Bible in your private study time? Do they see you writing checks and sending money to different Christian causes throughout the world? Do they see generosity? 
They will be who you are much more than what you say. And if you're saying that you're a follower of Jesus, but your life doesn't reflect being a follower of Jesus, then your children won't necessarily follow. May I adjure you today, this Mother's Day, but all days, to be faithful followers of Jesus. That's how he defines success. And successful parenting is children who love Jesus passionately with all of their hearts. When Jesus laid down the cost of discipleship, when he told the fifteen to 20,000 what it would mean to truly follow him, that he's God, that he came from heaven to earth to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins, and that we are to drink of his blood and eat of his flesh, totally devoted to follow him, amazingly, the fifteen to 20,000 walked away. In a sad moment, they walked away. So please, we're never at Moments of Hope Church going to define success with numbers. I don't care how many people come. In fact, the way I teach and preach taking stands on issues that I think are unbiblical probably will drive people away. But I'm not here to get a huge following. I'm here to create a family, a group of people who really love one another in Moments of Hope Church. And even though we're still nomadic, moving around from place to place, not having a home yet, going between Movement Mortgage and Carmel Presbyterian and the farm and any other place where we might be able to gather, our heart is simply to come together as the family of God and be a generous church that gives lots of money away, but more importantly, gives our lives away, gives ourselves away, and walk in the presence and power of Jesus and says to the world, we love him because we know he first loved us. That's what God wants for our church and for the kids in our church to be a huge family called Moments of Hope Church family. And I hope you'll want to be a part of that no matter how large or small we may be. So many disciples turned their back and no longer walked with Jesus. So Jesus said to the 12, the 12 whom he had chosen. If you look at Luke, the sixth chapter, you see that Jesus went on a mountain and spent it all night in prayer, praying to the Father, asking him to reveal which 12 men he wanted to follow him. And this is concurrent with the 12 tribes of Israel. That number 12 is very important in biblical narratives and numerology. So Jesus seeks the Father for 12 disciples like there were 12 tribes of Israel, and God gave him the 12 whom he should choose. And then Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? In other words, there go the 15 to 20,000. You going to leave too? Are you going to walk away as well? And Simon Peter answered. He was generally, most often, the voice of all of the apostles. He's the one that often spoke up first. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Dear friends, where else are you going to go except Jesus to go to heaven, to have the gift of eternal life? Muhammad's still in his grave. Moses is in his tomb. The Krishna is in his tomb. Any great religious leader who's ever lived is still dead. There's only one who's been raised from the dead to prove that he's God and to prove that his message is true. His name is Jesus. And though Simon Peter and the others had not yet witnessed the resurrection, 
they saw and heard Jesus and his words, and they believed that his words granted the gift of eternal life. They had no other place to go. That's because the Holy Spirit had already begun a work in all of them except one. We'll see that in just a second. Verse 69, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Interestingly, we see others referring to Jesus as the Holy One of God. One is the demons. Are you aware of that? Demons are very orthodox. They believe everything in this word. They believe it. Here's the truth, though. They believe it, but they don't obey it. But you'll see in, in Mark's gospel, for example, that demons experience Jesus, and they call him the Holy One of God. A Gabriel, the archangel who came to Mary to explain to her that this child inside of her had been conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, he calls Jesus in her womb the Holy One of Israel. So there it is that the Holy One of God, the Holy One of Israel is a term for the Messiah, a term for God himself. So Peter recognizes here the claim that Jesus is God. Remember, in the previous teachings, Jesus taught, I am God, I came from heaven, I will die on the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood to totally follow me. And Peter here acknowledges, you are the Holy One of God. You truly are God in human flesh. And Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve? He did, again in Luke 6, after that night of prayer on the mountain. He chose every single one. And yet one of you is a devil. A devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, would betray him. So one of the twelve was a devil. He was led by satanic powers that had overcome him. Now, Judas Iscariot, some think that second term describes him, Ishkarioth. Um, Ish means son in the Hebrew. Kerioth is a city in Judah. If that's true, that means that Judas was the only disciple who came from Judah. Judah was the south, um, southern part of Israel, where all the other disciples came from Galilee, the northern part of Israel. So he may have felt like an outcast from the very beginning. But Jesus chose him and also gave him the responsibility of being the treasurer. He oversaw all the money that the apostles had together. So Jesus chose the 12 to be his apostles, and they worked together for his purposes. And what's so fascinating, as Judas was given the money responsibilities, we see later that he loved money too much. And a part of his reason for betraying Jesus was for money. He sold him for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave during that time period. But here's what's so fascinating. Judas in Matthew 10 went out with the other disciples and he preached the gospel. He cast out demons in Jesus' name and did miracles. And yet, he was consumed and led by Satan himself. The word devil means divider. So whenever you see someone who is under any kind of demonic power, they're dividing. They're dividing families. They're dividing friendships. They're dividing churches. 
The work of the devil is to divide. That's what the term devil means, diabolos, in the Greek. And again, Judas was under that power and that control, and yet he still was able to cast out demons in Jesus' name, which gives you an insight, doesn't it? In Matthew 7, 21, when Jesus said, some are going to appear before me, and they're going to say, Lord, look what I did for you. I cast out demons in your name. And Jesus says to them, I do not know you. It's quite possible to have demonic powers that even can cast out demons for the purpose of deluding people and making them followers of the evil one and not followers of Jesus. This Judas, who loved money, divided people, was under the power of the accuser himself, ultimately betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. And then the message ends. And we'll get ready to move into chapter 7 next week. But the entire message today is about what is true success. True success does not have anything to do with the way the world defines success. It has nothing to do with how many people follow you, how many numbers think you're great, how much money you have, how much power and prestige you have. That true success in Jesus' eyes is someone who acknowledges him as the Holy One of God, someone who knows he came from heaven to earth to die for our sins, someone who knows that he is the only way to the forgiveness of our sins, people who know they're willing to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood and be totally under his authority in every possible way. My prayer is that will be the earmark of disciples in Moments of Hope Church. And we will have many baptism, many new believers who come into our church, into our family, who realize that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and who know that he's the only one who gives true life, and they'll come and live under his power. And should we grow, it'll only be because Jesus gets all the glory, for he is worthy of that praise. It's in his name I ask this. Amen and amen. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio to talk about today's Davidism. We'll be right back. In our community, there are countless people at the intersection of homelessness and addiction. I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. For over 80 years, we have been helping these men and women who struggle with addiction. You've probably seen the individuals who stand at the end of the interstate ramp. They're holding a sign that says, hungry, will work for food. And maybe you've felt a skepticism of, how are they going to use any money that I give them? What do those individuals truly need? Well, at Charlotte Rescue Mission, we are all about transformation. At our men's campus, which is called Rebound, and our women's campus, which is called Dove's Nest, We uniquely work from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who would otherwise not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community whose lives have unraveled due to an addiction. 
Charlotte Rescue Mission is so grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church in making this transformational ministry possible. I'm Jen Houston, and with me today is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for being with us today. Hi, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, in this morning's e-devotion, you wrote a Davidism about how rejection is often God's way of redirecting us. Can you talk with us about that? Well, yesterday we looked at the idea that rejection is God's protection, and that's so important to realize that when we're rejected, that God is protecting us from something. If our lives are totally in Him and He's overseeing everything, we can trust Him in the rejection. But this is another way of looking at rejection that's been helpful for people. Rejection is not only God's protection, rejection is God's redirection. Mm. You know, I had a, a relationship with a girl one time. I thought maybe she was the one, and she rejected me. Can you imagine that? Jen. I'm no. such a nice wow. guy, you know, but <laughs> it, it happened. And I went to my dad and I was feeling all down and depressed. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, son, he had this deep baritone voice that I think God was envious of. <laughs> you know, son, sometimes you need a dress rehearsal before the main performance. Mm. And several years later, I met my wife, Marilyn, now of 43 years, a, a wonderful friend and a great relationship. I look back on that other relationship. I, I don't think it would have been near as fruitful or as meaningful as this one has been. So really, that rejection was God's redirection. He knew whom he wanted me to marry. He knew the person that was right for me. And he said no to this person. I took that as a personal rejection. God reminded me through my dad, no, that's not the case at all. This was just a dress rehearsal. You still have your main performance awaiting you. And of course, I met Marilyn several years later, and she is the love of my life. And we have had a wonderful time together. So for all our listeners, I would say, if you've gone through rejection, A, believe it's God's protection over you. He's protecting you from something. You may not see it even in this side of eternity, but God will show it to you. But ultimately, too, rejection's God's redirection. He has another place for you. Mm. Trust him. He'll take you there. His plans for you are good. Mm. Therefore, a future and a hope, as Jeremiah 29, 11 says. This is so good, and it reminds me of something personal that's happened to me. You know, before we started this great work together on this radio program, I was doing another project. Project and that came to an end. And it just, it hurt me in my heart because I, I experienced what I felt was rejection at the time. And I just said, Lord, I have just reemerged on the work scene here and now it's gone. I don't understand. And just a, within a couple weeks of that, I felt like the Lord saying, this is just pruning to produce more fruit. Mm. And two other people, including our producer, had that same word. And here we are today. Doing so this. Doing this, a redirection. Well, Jen, you and I both struggle with people-pleasing. Mm-hmm. Most of our listeners do as well. Rejection really has to do with people-pleasing. We feel like, oh, I'm inadequate. Something's wrong with me. But if your identity is in Christ, and you know He loves you totally and completely, and He's in charge of every area of your life, then then rejection is A, again, God's protection of our lives, also be his redirection, a purpose that he has for us that only the pain going through it could take us to the purpose of God's ultimate plan. So Mm -hmm. I would just encourage all of our listeners to believe that today. It does give you freedom, doesn't it? It really does. And it honestly provides more fruit. I think a more bountiful harvest. Yeah. And that's what God really wants. And pruning is another subject we need to talk about another day. But God sometimes does prune us, not because he hates us, but because he wants more fruit. I love it. Thank you so much, David. And listeners, thank you for joining me. If you'd like a written daily moment of hope, 
Hope from my heart to yours, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. It will arrive in your inbox every morning at 7 a.m. It's my way of starting your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our Sunday morning worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock, in person or by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. Also, check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for spiritual awakening in America 